Good morning. Welcome everyone to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren for October the 11th. A couple of announcements um, that you can find in your bulletin and elsewhere. Uh, today is the crop walk over at Goodyear Heights Metro Park. Um, our sister Cindy, along with our brother Mark, are both, I know, going to be there. They're the only ones I know for sure. Someone else may have, and I just didn't catch that. Um, we'll be there uh, walking today, uh, both in honor of our sister Jean. Uh, if you wanted to make a donation to the crop walk, uh, just put it in the memo or on the envelope, and they'll be uh, taking donations through, I believe, November the 1st. Also, speaking of November the 1st, uh, we will be, that day's Sunday worship, we'll be celebrating the saints, those who have already gone and joined the Savior. So if you feel led, I welcome you to bring in pictures or mementos that day to add to our worship space. Uh, one other note to add in here. Oh, uh, two, actually. Um, ACME has started their community cashback program. Uh, so check your ACME receipts, um, and those can be dropped off in the back. And we, there is a work day at Camp Inspiration Hills, just looking at, uh, Saturday, October 24th, for those who are interested. Um, you can contact the camp. The number's right there in the bulletin. Uh, if you want to go with a group of people or anything, feel free to reach out to the church. We're happy to get people connected in. I believe we also have one other announcement. how much more difficult it is if you add in everything that has gone on in the past year with the pandemic and whatever else. So today is Pastor Appreciation Day, and I just want to come up and publicly um, just give our thanks and appreciation for Pastor Andrew for, for being here and for leading us through these uh, tough times and, and helping us to continue to worship together as a church. And I just want to uh, public acknowledge that, and hopefully, you know, if you get a chance today, you can do the same. So, Pastor Andrew, thank you very much. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thank you so much. <laughs> to be completely honest, I thought he was going to talk about commission and committee meetings this week. <laughs> which, by the way, are uh, on the 14th year at the church um, commission meetings, followed by the church board meeting downstairs, I believe at 7 and 7.40. Thank you, everyone. It has been a joy to be here. Um, yeah. uh, wow, I'm thrown off now. Are there any other announcements? Oh, and I remember the last thing. Um, we are in the process of updating our technology um, so that those of you who are at home 
don't have to rely on my little computer to handle um, everything. Uh, we have the first major component. The computer is now in place. We are now working on getting the camera and the computer and the soundboard all to talk to each other to provide a much cleaner sounding, better looking, and not slightly up at my, sorry folks, up my nose, uh, view. Are there any joys or concerns you wish to share today? I invite you to continue to uh, remember Doris and Cecil in your prayers this week as she's in hospice care right now. Uh, I just invite you to keep them in your prayers and to reach out as you're able. One last thing to note, we will be having a special music provided by our brother Mike. Um, however, because of CCL license, issues, I will be muting uh, after the prayer so that he can do that since we can't broadcast anything with pre-recorded music in the background. I invite you now to join us as we enter this time of prayer.
if you'll pray with me. Holy Creator, we thank you that we are able to meet again in this space today. But we do so remembering those who aren't with us. We lift them up in prayer for safety and healing, for presence and comfort. We think especially this day of the Van Horn family. We pray that you will continue walking with us and with them. We ask, especially this day, God, that the prayers of the many are felt by those that they are for. We ask, especially, that we remember how much the prayers of our brothers and our sisters mean to us and to be able to pass forward that love and kindness. Walk with us, God, and help us to walk with others. Amen. Today's reading... Sorry. Today's reading comes from Esther chapter 4. In fact, it is all of Esther chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from the message today. When Mordecai learned what had been done, he ripped his clothes to shreds and put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out of the city, crying out into the streets of the city, crying out in loud, bitter cries. He came only as far as the king's gate, for no one dressed in sackcloth was allowed to enter the king's gate. As the king's orders was posted in every province, there was a loud lament among the Jews, fasting, weeping, wailing, and most of them stretched out on sackcloths and ashes. Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her the queen was stunned. She sent fresh clothes to Mordecai so that he could take off his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Esther called to Hathak, one of the royal eunuchs whom the king had assigned to wait on her, and told him to go to Mordecai and get the full story of what was happening. So Hathak went to Mordecai in the town square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened. He told him the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to deposit in the royal bank to finance the massacre of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the bulletin that had been posted in Susa ordering the massacre so he could show it to Esther when he reported back with instructions to go to the king and intercede and plead with him for her people. Hathak came back and told Esther everything Mordecai had said. Esther talked it over with Hathak and then sent back a message to Mordecai with this. Everyone who works for the king here and even the people of all the provinces know that there is a single fate for everyone, man or woman, who approaches the king without being invited. Death. 
The one exception is that the king extends his golden scepter. Then he or she may live. And it's been 30 days now since I've been invited to come before the king. When Hathak told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent this message back to her. Don't think that just because you are living in the king's house, that you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at this time, if silent at such a time like this, help will come, help and deliverance will arrive from the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. For who knows, maybe you are made a queen for such a time as this. Esther sent her message, sent her answer to Mordecai. Go, get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either day or night. And I and my maids will fast with you. If you will do this, I will go to king, the king, even if it's forbidden. If I may die, I die. Mordecai left and carried out Esther's instructions. Blessed is the word of God. Pumpkins are a serious matter in my house. When the first cool days of autumn come and the first leaves start to tinge with color, Lauren begins to make plans for us to go pick apples and pumpkins. The apples really isn't surprising. She comes from a town that their big town festival every year is Apple Fest. Pumpkins, because, well, it's fall. That's what you do. And she loves fall and she loves pumpkins. We always come home with a mix of colors and shapes and sizes with at least one little sugar pumpkin. The kind sitting to the left of the Bible up high. That's going to be Gracie's pumpkin, which she gets to paint. We're not quite to the age of carving herself yet. And I get one really big pumpkin that I get to carve. I also usually pick up one other pumpkin. It's got some very specific rules about it. I usually get something that is a little different looking. Something that's supposed to taste good. And it has to be of the right size to fit into my cast iron Dutch oven. Because I'm going to take it, I'm going to cut it open, clean out the insides, thin the walls if needed, and then I sear some beef, and then I throw it into the open pumpkin with onion and rutabagas and carrots and rosemary and bay leaf and broth. Then I close it all up, and I stick it into the oven to slow cook. I have done this now for every year in the past decade. I've learned a few things. Number one, we can never finish the entire stew. It's just too much. It doesn't matter how small of a pumpkin I use. There's just too much pumpkin in one pumpkin for any family to finish. Number two, go with pork and beef. Chicken doesn't taste right with it. And number three, it's got to fit into my Dutch oven because before I used that, I used to put it in a casserole dish and the sides split open. Thankfully, it was a very deep casserole dish. Now, I started doing this after watching an episode of Good Eats. It's an Alton Brown TV show. They recently brought it back. It's perhaps the greatest cooking show ever invented. That's my opinion. Uh, if you don't know Alton Brown, he's also the host of Iron Chef America. 
the guy who sits up there and tells you everything that's going on. Anyway, he, told, he talked about this as the first way that pumpkin pies were made. You could do it savory like I do, or you could fill it up with creams and spices and molasses and sugar, and then you put it either in a nice hot spot on your hearth, or you could stick it in, in hot ashes, or like I do, stick it in the oven. The pumpkin serves not only as the item you're eating, as the food, it's also the cooking vessel. I mean, pumpkins, I love them. All winter squash, actually, they, they fascinate me. Of all the foods out there, they're probably the one that most seamlessly transitions between the savory and the sweet side of the menu, while remaining a star flavor. I mean, add some bacon or pancetta, parmigiana, red pepper flakes, a little oregano, and you've got amazing pasta sauce. Or milk, cream, egg, sugar, well, egg yolk, sugar, allspice, cinnamon, you've got pumpkin ice cream. There are other foods you can do this with. I mean, apples, pears, lemons, oranges, even bacon and chocolate and carrots. You can make that transition between either side of the menu if you want but they always seem to play second fiddle as a flavor then. Or it becomes gimmicky. Like the whole point is that you have bacon in your dessert or chocolate in your chili. Delicious, but gimmicky. Acorn, butternut squashes, pumpkin, they're home either place. They're always happy to play a supporting role, but they're also quite capable of being the star. But pumpkin by itself is bland. Have you ever just eaten plain roast pumpkin with nothing on it? No salt, no pepper, no sugar, no spice? It's like eating a bland sweet potato. It's got some flavor. It's not great. I mean, it's like watching a sitcom in which every person plays the everyman or the straight man. You know, that's the normal person that the foil plays off of that makes a comedy a comedy. It's like watching I Love Lucy with no Lucy or Everybody Loves Raymond, in which it's Deborah and the kids, and you don't see Raymond or Robert or the parents. I mean, it's just boring. Sure, it makes life easier for the, the straight person, but it's dull. Pumpkin can easily make this transition. It can be dramatic, it can be comedic, it can be sweet, it can be savory. But the thing is, is it needs flavors to go with it. It needs some help. Esther is like a pumpkin. See, I was going to bring it back. All this talk about pumpkin had a reason. I mean, if you read the book of Esther, for the most part, Esther is an incredibly boring character. I mean, she's bland. She is a prop. For the most part, she's picked up and moved from scene to scene by other people. You begin with Mordecai. And then she goes into the king's palace, and you have Haggai and Shagach. I don't know how to say that name. And, you know, the guardian eunuchs who move her from place to place. And eventually she marries Xerxes. But other than that, she's just there. She doesn't say anything. She's just pretty to look at. Not unlike a pumpkin sitting on the many doorsteps out there right now. She gets around. I mean, all there is for her character development is that she's beautiful and obedient. 
And I'm sad to say that after chapter four, she has a little bit of this rise where she becomes the star of the show where it's, you realize why it's the book of Esther. And then she just fades back into the background and the last chapter's all about Mordecai again. Overall, the book of Esther is really more about the power struggle between Haman and Mordecai than this young queen. The chapter four, this is the different section. Chapter four and then a couple bits after that, this bland, unassuming character takes center stage and she shines. And okay, there's a lot going on in Esther. So to go back just a little bit, there is Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. It managed to stay free longer than Israel, the northern kingdom did, who was conquered by the Assyrians. Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. And all the people, all the wealthy, the well-known, the powerful people are taken into the exile. That's where we get the book of Daniel. Daniel's one of the exiles. Eventually, Babylon is conquered by Persia, still the book of Daniel. And some of them get to go home and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. That's Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, not all the Jews return. Some remain in Babylon. Some move to other parts in the Persian Empire, including Susa, the southern capital of the empire. Some even rise up to become officials in the government. And the one of note is Mordecai, which we are told is, a is a, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the ruler of the empire is a man named Xerxes. And according to the story, Xerxes is a pretty incompetent leader. He's capricious, and he's easily manipulated by those around him. Now, a battle is taking a place all around him in his court, and he seems completely unaware of it. In the end, he has been completely manipulated by a man he raises to number two named Haman into signing off on a declaration of genocide of all the Jews in in his kingdom, which would have been including Israel itself. Now, Haman is an Amalekite. We're actually even told that he is an Agagite, which is a terrible word to have to say, but the Agag was the, was the king of the Amalekites. So it's saying he is a descendant of the king of the Amalekites. And they hated Israelites. If you read the first books of Samuel, they're regular enemies. And they have a special hatred for the tribe of Benjamin because the first king of Israel, King Saul, had committed a genocide against them in 1 Samuel. It's an old blood feud, and it has come to a boil again as these ancient enemies are once again fighting each other for power and prestige and, well, survival in this empire. We don't know exactly how Haman came to power. We don't even actually know what Mordecai did. There's little hints all throughout the text that kind of let us know that Mordecai wasn't just another person in the court. He was powerful. But it still wasn't going well for him because Haman had taken the upper position and had manipulated the king into signing that order of genocide, exacting the Amalekites' vengeance on this tribe of Benjamin and, frankly, all of Israel. But there's a card up his sleeve, and that's where Esther comes back in. The queen, who no one knows that she's a Jew, she, no one knows she's related to Mordecai, except, well, her and her staff, basically. 
So now the pumpkin takes center stage. Now, if you've ever cooked with a raw pumpkin, like one of the ones sitting up here, you know it's not the easiest thing to work with. It takes time and technique to bring it out to shine. Now, Mordecai goes through this great big scene of public grief. So that word would get back to Esther. Esther reaches out to see what's wrong, and Mordecai makes his request, and Esther balks for her to go un bidden to the king was a death sentence. She had gotten so far in her life by being the pretty prop. She just followed the rules. She went where people told her to go. She followed their advice. Did Mordecai forget the whole reason she was key queen in the first place was because the last queen, Vashti, broke the rules. Mordecai answers her. He never names God, but he insinuates that she is where she is because God has placed her there. And that even if she can't live up to what she's there for, that God will save his people one way or another. It's at this point there's a transformation. She replies, go gather together all the Jews in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. At this moment, and Esther takes the initiative. She decides to take the lead she decides to take a leap. She doesn't plan to do this alone. She asks for help for the prayers and the fastings of all of her fellow Jews in the capital. She knows that she lacks the strength to do so and to go it alone and needs others to help her shine. Now, last week, we read about Jesus taking the time to pray before making decisions. And we were reminded that we need to invite God into our decision-making. But decision-making isn't the end of the process. It's just the beginning. And sometimes the execution of the plan is a lot harder than the decision-making itself. And that is her problem, the execution on more than one level. Esther reminds us of something else. There is power in the prayers of the many. It's not like God doesn't listen to you when you pray by yourself for something. I'm pretty sure God doesn't like open up his browser in the morning, go to his email and goes, well, there was a hundred prayers for Jimmy, but a thousand prayers for John. So we're going to put John at the top of the list today. It doesn't work like that. I mean, God is God. It doesn't need a to-do list. Just do things when God does things. The prayer of others helps bolster our spirits. They give us courage and comfort when we need it. Mordecai, who up to this point has been making all the decisions for Esther, now finds his own ability falling short, as does all the Jews in Susa. And Esther, 
Esther's in a position of power, but also a position of no power. And so she asks for prayers to give her strength as she risks her life to save theirs. Esther is like a pumpkin, beautiful to look at, but up until this point, lacking flavor by herself. In many ways, we're all pumpkins. We're all beautiful to look at, whether you may think so or not. But by ourselves, we all kind of lack flavor. I don't mean that in a rude way. Don't take it that way. And there are definitely those out there who have plenty of flavor, whether they're by themselves in their own house or they're out and about. But... We all need others to really bring out the richness and the diversity of ourselves. Pumpkin by itself is bland, but when you mix it with other things, it brings out the diversity and the richness of its flavor. We may not be doing the same work as Esther. We may not be stopping the genocide of our people by an enemy who has been bent on destroying us for a millennia. But we travel roads with our own sorrows and struggles, and we need others to get through. We each have our own skills. We each have our strong points. But that also means we each have our weak points. It's like, it is the community that helps cover our weaknesses and bolsters our strengths. It's just like Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, we are one body, each member with unique function, each member with a unique uh, work, and the body is incomplete if it's even missing one of them. So, pray for one another. Lift one another up. When you look at all the pumpkins that are adorning the houses this year, don't just see a pretty squash. See a magnificent ingredient that transcends categories with just a little bit of love and care. And when you see that pumpkin and think of how it can go in thousands of different ways with just that little bit of love and care, remember that people are the same way. They are filled with amazing hidden potential to adapt and to shine when it's dark. So be their rosemary. Be their cinnamon. Support them in your prayer. Build them up in your prayers, in your words, with your hands. And when you need it, don't be afraid to ask. There's no reason for you to come out of the oven a bland piece of gourd. (laughs) Be willing to be transformed by the love and the prayers and the cares of others. Pumpkins and people are beautiful, but their strength is deeper than skin. Their strength is all the way to the very core. It's just sometimes we all need a little help, a little prayer to get us where we're going. Thank you.
you've got a fan. <laughs> As you go out this week, I really do invite you to look out at the world and see all those pumpkins sitting out there because I know there's a lot. I know I often write you know, about different spiritual practices in the newsletter. And I really do invite you this week, every time you see a pumpkin, think of someone you need to pray for. Lift them up to God. Be their sugar. Be their molasses. Be their rosemary, their ginger, their onion. Onion's also an amazing vegetable. Anyway, pray for one another and hold one another up. Amen.